Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. My next guest is Mike Lander, a successful entrepreneur, an expert negotiator with a proven track record of buying, growing, and selling businesses. His cumulative deals are valued at over 400 million pounds. Mike has a unique perspective on negotiating commercial deals, having worked both sides of the table, and he shares his tips with us today. This is Mike Lander. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, Simon. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to it. Oh, my pleasure. I've been very excited about uh, about chatting to you today. You, you know, one of the things about a podcast called Buy, Build, Sell, you know, clearly it's it's about business being a bit of a cycle, right? People get in, they kind of do something with their business, they get out. Some people do it more than once. But um, it's not all the time that I get guests that have done all three. So, <laughs> yeah. So I always love that because, you know, when you've done a full lap of the racetrack, you yeah. know, and you've gone again, you're either absolutely insane or exactly. you're, you're doing something right or a bit of both maybe. <laughs> yeah, or, a bit of, or a bit of both maybe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, thank you so much for coming on. I'm, um, I'm very keen to hear about who is Mike Lander. So I've got to, if people look at my LinkedIn profile, which everyone does these days, uh, and you try to find a thread, a, uh, a story, it's really hard to find that story. Because it seems to be all over the place. <clears throat> I've been an engineer uh, back in the day uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I've done an MBA. I've been in banking, uh, marketing. Uh, I've been. I've worked for huge companies like KPMG as a management consultant. And then I've kind of raised money, bought businesses, sold businesses, um, screwed them up quite badly, turned them around, and sold them. So I've got quite <laughs> an eclectic kind of journey. So I'd say that kind of half of my business life was corporate, and half of it has been more entrepreneurial. And that's an interesting yeah. blend uh, of, um, I think we talked before the show about there's amazing stuff that comes from being in big corporates that you learn, but there's also stuff that drags you down. And I think part of the skill for entrepreneurial companies, especially when you're buying, building and selling, is how do you take all the great stuff that really works from the corporate world, but apply it in a way that allows the entrepreneurial business to be more fleet of foot? Yeah, look, absolutely. And I couldn't, couldn't agree more and, and, and not getting caught up chasing shiny things, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, there's so many sort of new things on the market and the latest, you know, guru talking about something that I'd never heard of. It's, it's, it's easy to get caught in some of that marketing spin off on. I mean, I think something that, uh, and again, as we kind of chat, you know, one of the things that I'd advise your audience about is there is no silver bullet. So if you're yeah. out there looking for it, it's not there. You may think that all these people that write all these books, have got these amazing insights that no one else can see. And if you only buy into their $20,000 a year program, 
you know, you'll suddenly become a multimillionaire. Bluntly, it's not true. Um, what they need is, I always think of it now as, um, as uh, like a Hollywood film. You know, uh, any business, any business cycle is like a story arc. Yeah, there's a hero, which in your case is your audience. There's a guide, which could be you or someone else who's going to help them on their journey. Um, there's a challenge that they'll face or many challenges. And then at the end, there's a kind of a prize. And that, you know, and there's, there's also villains. Villains turn up in that story from places that you never expect. And when you buy businesses and when you sell businesses, those villains pop up from all sorts of places. Money does a very strange thing to human beings. The people that you find with the highest integrity that you completely trust, that you've known for years, when there's money on the table in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, it can turn them. And it's quite horrifying to see it happen because you can't see it coming. Yeah. And it, yeah, well, I think what you're saying too is it comes from the least expected places sometimes. Correct. So The least expected places. It, it, is, it is an unfortunate uh, – it's an unfortunate truth. I, I, you know, I certainly know um, I'm – 44 years old, I've, this has been in multiple businesses and, you know, I, I've been screwed over more times than I care to try to count, you know. And, of course, the, uh, the, the more you get along and more you do things, the more you're in business, I guess, the more you sort of learn to see some of the signs a bit earlier and maybe you can protect yourself a little bit better. But, um, yeah. unfortunately, I agree with you. It's, uh, it, it's kind of you see the best and worst in human nature uh, in business just like in any other facet of life. You do. And I think, you know, that having the independent advisor with you, I mean, I get used as an advisor now when people are doing transactions. Uh, that's what you do as a core business. Um, it's really important. And some entrepreneurial businesses, some founders say, oh, you know, it seems really expensive. It's like, well, look at how much the business might be worth. Let's say it's worth $5 million. And today it's only worth what someone will pay for it. It's worth half a million, a million dollars. So that $4 million delta Having an advisor on board that's been through the cycle several times underwrites your kind of risk in many ways of getting there. It de-risks your position to get to the five million. Without them, it'll just be a void of discovery because you've not been there before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, hey, you want to walk through the jungle on your own? Go for it. Your chances absolutely. of finding your destination and getting there unscathed are probably low. But if you've got Listen. someone who's been through the jungle, yeah, and been and done it a few times, they know the path. They know don't trip over that log and watch out for this branch. And yeah, yeah. It, it's very common, isn't it? And, and you know, one of the things I, I, I've certainly found, and I'm interested in your perspective on this, but I, I know in my own life and career and businesses that I have by far learned so much more from my failures than I have from my successes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, um, <laughs> I do a piece called Staring into the Abyss, which is a, a story I tell to entrepreneurial groups about exactly that. Is I'm, I'm very kind of open with mistakes I've made because I've learned a lot from my mistakes. And part of my, my role in life, I believe now, is to help others avoid some of my mistakes. They'll make your, you, you'll make your own mistakes that I haven't been through. But at least if you, if you could avoid some of mine, it might help you on that journey. Sounds like the uh, explanation I was giving to my kids last night. <laughs> 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 it, is, uh, it is one of those things. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you, you've obviously, you mentioned earlier in, in, in our chat that you, you had a business and you've bought and built and sold and made some mistakes along the way. Is, is there one um, particular business, and, and we won't go into names and everything here because of confidentialities and all the rest of it, but is there a particular sort of business that, that stood out for you in, in your experience? 
Yeah, so there was a time back in uh, the kind of mid-2000s where I'd been a kind of freelance consultant, uh, jobbing consultant, freelancer, doing project management uh, work, and simple lesson. As we go through the kind of stories, I'll drop in what I think are some salient kind of lessons and tips for the audience. Right. You know, I think one simple uh, lesson for me was when you when you leave your corporate job, your existing job, and you go off and you start your entrepreneurial business, and you're thinking of buying and building and selling businesses, um, it's really important to understand one basic thing. Are you a freelancer or are you building a business? Neither are good or bad, but they're very different. If you're a freelancer, you're basically selling day rates, typically. You might be doing some fixed price work, but broadly you're selling your time, your experience, your skill. And clients want that. They want your experience. But typically, that is basically your uh, work a day, earn a day, but, uh, and you're working for yourself. And it can be a great life. And then you move between six-month projects between clients, and it's a very enjoyable lifestyle. And it's not bad. People think it's a bad thing. It's not. It's a very good thing, and it suits certain people at certain times of their life. But if you're building a business, in the first example of a freelancer, you basically are trying to maximize your earnings because you're billing yourself out as a consultant, and you're trying to maximize the earning that you draw. In the second example, where you're building a business, you're trying to maximize the kind of capital value in this entity you're trying to grow. You've got to invest in that beast. It takes a long time. You've got to keep on, I mean, unless you're going to raise third-party capital, there's pros and cons to that. We'll talk about that in a second. You're going to keep on taking all of the money that you generate. You're going to put loads of it into the bank as your kind of development fund. You're going to draw a small amount of salary or dividends, whichever way you do it. You're going to keep on running. It's really hard. You won't be going out much. You won't be going out with all your mates and partying and big holidays. And it will go on forever. I mean, it will go on for a long time, you know, it will go on for like three or four years before you start to get some sort of traction. And so it's a very different type of journey. And the second one's got obviously huge risk. Will it work? Will people buy it? Can it scale? Can you sell it? Um, you know, why are you building this capital value if you're not going to sell it in the first place? So I think it's just, it's a different mindset and it's a very different way of thinking about what you're doing as an independent person. Does that kind of resonate with what you see? Uh, oh, look, absolutely. Absolutely. And and uh, I like this Two points there that I'm taking away is 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 one, it's okay to be the freelancer. You know, there, I, I know <laughs> plenty fine. of consultants out there who, yeah, they live by their own rules. They make very good money. They and and I think there's a, the element to that is they also understand what's important in their life and they work only hard enough to deliver what they want. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily have to work harder than that. And and I think that's a fairly emotionally intelligent person who who can actually define that and shape their life around it. Exactly. The second part, though, to, to if you're building the company is, and, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing your words here, but basically what's your end game, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're not building it to sell or, you know, maybe you want to build a legacy and hand it down to your kids, but, but let's be honest, the, those times have changed somewhat. Um, you know, our kids are better educated than they've ever been in the history of the planet and they have more options and most of them look at their parents and go, oh, God, I wouldn't want to do what they're doing. Exactly. So, you know, handing down the business. In fact, I saw some stats around this um, just recently saying that it's, it's only about 48, 49% of businesses go from Gen 1 to Gen 2. Yeah. And only about 8 to 9% make it to Gen 3. So big, big drop-off. So, you know, the question comes back to if you're going to put in all that effort, those three, four, five, sometimes more years, yep. 
what, what are you building for? Because you kind of want to get clear on what the end game is. <laughs> Correct. And it can be 15, 20 years. I mean, I've got clients where they're at 15 years now and they're thinking about, so what might an exit look like? When might an exit come? Yeah, some are at 20 years. Some of them are at kind of ones at like 30, 40 years. You know, it, as you say, it, you've got to really think hard. Why am I doing this? What's the end game? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I and I guess it's when you're in the in those deep dark valleys, and <laughs> let's be honest, businesses go through them, right? Doesn't matter how big you are, you have some pretty dark sort of moments in a business. You know, when Absolutely. things chips are down, you you need something in my mind anyway that pushes you through. You know, and I think that's that deeper set of purpose, your end game, your goal, your family. You can have whatever your purpose and your driver is. I think you've got to have something there other than just making a bit of money because. I think often with entrepreneurship is there are easier ways to make money, at least in the short term. <laughs> I mean, that's a great intro into that kind of, you said, you know, what, can, if you've you got time, you can think of when you were building something. So that mid 2000s, I was freelancing and I didn't wake up one day and suddenly realize, but it, it had dawned over a period of time that uh, I wanted to, I've always wanted to be a business builder and I'd never done it. I've worked in corporates. I'd been a freelancer. I'd not, I'd not built a business. And so as I started being a freelancer, I was playing with, well, I could build this into a business. I got some great feedback one day from a client. I went into a meeting with this client, very, very big global pharmaceuticals company. And I met the M&A director and I laid out my stall of things I could do and what we could, how we could help them and you know, how we could help them with uh, post-merger and acquisition integration. And he sat there and he said, Mike, it's really interesting listening to you. It's great. It's a great story. Uh, I understand what you've said. He said, buying from you is a bit like buying from a smorgasbord. And a smorgasbord, for those that don't know, is like a, a big table full of food, and it all looks amazing. He said, it all looks amazing. I have absolutely no idea at all what your speciality dish is. No idea at all. And he said, what I want is you. You're very good at project program management. You've got the discipline and the processes, and I can see how you could work in an integration environment. Absolutely. No problem at all. But it's you I'm buying, not your team of associates and your bigger dream, I'm buying you. And having heard that, and a few other people talk about it, I realized if I'm going to build a business, one route, it's not the only route, but one route is, why don't I buy a business that exists? Find something that exists that works with willing sellers, people that have been on their journey and want to now move on in their life and take it to the next stage. Yeah. And as it happened, I found a business that had two owners that were in their late 50s and 60s, that wanted to move on in their life, that built a great business. I knew all the people really, really well, and it became a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, we talk buy, build, sell, right? And so I'm often talking to people about, well, when you get into a business, you're either going to buy it or you're going to do a startup. That's, a, that's the very, very earliest point of the build phase, right? But if you want to grow, you still have those same options. You build or you buy. Yeah. And, and certainly I can say from my experience that whilst buying requires a little more capital up front, sometimes a lot of capital up front, invariably buying is certainly a much faster route to getting where you want to go. Definitely. Yeah, it, it accelerates your route. And you can see it in, I've worked a lot in private equity and seeing private equity from the kind of inside I didn't work for the P firms. I worked for the portfolio companies, the companies they'd bought. And I used to work in them with some colleagues and we would do cost reduction programs. And when you look at a private equity firm, you know, part of their investment strategy, you know, normally kind of like, you know, seven times out of 10 at least is it's a buy and build. 
So they invest in a platform business in a sector that they love and they can see opportunity in. And they tell the company that they bought, we're going to deploy lots of capital into you to go and buy other companies, integrate them. And then at the other end, we'll sell. And there's a very good reason they do that, uh, which again, a lesson for your kind of like your your audience, which they may know already. And I'm sure you probably talk, about, talk to them about it a lot as well, is this kind of EBITDA uh, multiple arbitrage. And it sounds like some MBA course. <laughs> what it means is if you buy a small company and you buy it at six times EBITDA, and then you add other companies to it and bought them together, that bigger company might well go for 10 or 12 times EBITDA. And so you get this kind of benefit of scale on the kind of EBITDA uh, multiple. And that's all part of a buy and build strategy. And I think when you see that, you're like, huh. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and you're absolutely right. It's, it is something that we do talk about, but it's it's um it is fascinating. I mean, it is absolutely out of the private equity playbook, right? Buy, buy it five or six times. If you get bolt enough of them together at five or six times, and and hey, you know, either do a strategic sale or or even list it. Let's be honest. I mean, look at some of the businesses and their sort of PE ratios these days and how they trade. You, it's it's off the wall. I mean. You know, if you thought, if somebody said to you, give me a, you know, invest a dollar, but it'll take you 25 years to get your dollar back. I mean, you'd think they're insane. Yeah. But, but somehow, you know, that's how they trade, right? So somehow that's now the norm. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's been interesting. I've had a lot of our clients who I explain this to, and I say, well, you're making a million of EBIT, right? More EBITDA. Which is the magic number. Yes. The magic number, as we know, is a million. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, hey, but a, but a million dollars of EBITDA in your hands may be worth four million, five million, six million. You know, w- w- you know. <laughs> let's look at a qualitative scale here. But this idea that it gets bought and they'll put that turnover and EBIT through the wash for twelve months, and now it's worth five times more. Yeah, <laughs> I think just I think for anybody who's built their business over a period of time, it's on one hand shocking and exciting and amazing, and on one hand slightly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now on that point, I think a really important point. I think if we look at the end, look at the end of that life cycle of the cell. When people ask me over a kind of coffee, you know, so what, what are your lessons learned from buying, building and selling? I, you know, one of my key things is at the end of the kind of the cycle where you sell your business, the, I think there's two things that are really critical to understand. One, you've got to leave kind of double the value on the table for the buyer. They've got to be able to see how they can double that business, not easily, but it, with a plan so that they can double their money and get their return. And people say, well, that's outrageous. Why don't you do it? And I'm said, if, if you keep thinking like that, you'll never sell your business because you'll never leave twice on the table because you'll always keep trying to get more. So a greed's a very emotive word, but you, you've got to not be greedy as the entrepreneur. Sell at the right time. Yeah. The second thing is the right time, which is you have to have a number in your head. You've got to say, if someone offers me five million pound enterprise value, so the debt plus the equity, on decent commercial terms, might be three up front, two deferred. At that point, I'm good to go because that will satisfy my needs. If you don't have that number in your head, you'll never know when to sell. You know, Mike, and this is why I'm loving chatting to you because you've just encapsulated and described fundamentally, I mean, it's an exit plan, right? <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. what is my number and why? And, and you know, something we talk a lot about is, you know, don't just put a th- your thumb to the wind and go, oh, I think I need about three million. 
you know, I, I the amount of people that I will say, well, have you actually calculated how much money you need to live on? What's important in your lifestyle? Um, you know, this comes back to this concept of we on this show in our team, we are massive believers that none of us are born to do business. We're born to live our life. So the fundamental question is, what kind of life do you want? Because your business should just be an asset, a vehicle to help deliver that life. So work that out and spend some time on that. That's actually the most important thing because you could be working really, really hard on a business to go and deliver something that is actually not what you want. <laughs> Correct. You've got your ladder leaning against the wrong wall. You climb this ladder, <laughs> you look around and you go, but I want to be on that building <laughs> and I'm on this building. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, it happened because you didn't know where you were going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Mike, t- tell us a little bit about um, you know what you can share anyway, but um, when you went and you bought your business, I mean, how did you approach it? How did you find them? Was it somebody in your circle, your network? How did you go about valuing it and coming up with a number in your own mind? All that sort of stuff. So I'd come off the back of the, of doing an MBA, which uh, I wouldn't recommend people do now. But back in the day when I did mine, which was in 94, it was a good thing to do about upskilling uh, myself. And so I'd come off the back of that. So I had all the frameworks, didn't have the experience, but had all the frameworks and the kind of the, uh, the knowledge Realized that I wanted to build a business uh, to get to an exit at some point uh, to create capital value. Was then looking around for, well, I don't, you know, what business do I buy? And as I say, I was actually, I found this business with these two guys that I knew really, really well uh, that were looking for an exit of some form. They were a bit surprised that I approached them to buy it, but uh, it was good timing. I think a lot of situations in business life are around timing uh, and you need to have a kind of prepared mind uh, waiting for the opportunity to turn up. And by the way, later on, I'll talk about luck as well, because a lot of entrepreneurs get told they're lucky. And I've got, a, <laughs> I've, re- I've even written down my definition of luck, Excellent. which we'll come back to. But yeah, so I, um, I, did a, uh, I did a very straightforward discounted cash flow. So I worked out, you know, okay, how do you value business? Lots of ways of valuing it. Uh, one of which is discounted cash flow. I like DCF. It makes sense to me. I'm a rationalist. So I worked out what the forward cash flows look like. They gave me enough information to do that. I worked out what the discount rates were. I then worked out, well, okay, what back a deal structure look like? Um, how much of that do I fund from debt? How much from equity? Um, went to the uh, debt markets and wrote a plan, business plan. Talked to the banks and the banks at the UK at that point were deploying capital into entrepreneurs. So I was, again, timing, right time. Uh, I turned up with a plan. The bank liked the plan. Um, it was a very strong cash generative business. And I kind of agreed a deal between the bank and the sellers and my kind of advisors that, you know, if we could get the debt in place and they, they were looking to win some quite big contracts, if, if that contract, one or two of those contracts were won, then all the stars would align and we'd do a transaction. And that's broadly what happened. And I agreed a way of paying out the seller through a, a structure of basically upfront capital um, value plus some deferred consideration, which was true deferred consideration. Um, and it worked out really well. It's, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take you back just for a moment and just, just for the benefit of people listening to this. I, I think a lot of people who listen to this and they're mostly you know, business owners and, and people out there kind of growing on their, on their own journey. But I think a lot of people when it comes to valuation are familiar with this concept of a multiple of my, most people call it profit. Some people get the EBIT and EBITDA kind of arrangement. Discounted cash flow um, is is a model that I find confuses a lot of people. Um, although, yes, you know, if we take out some of the language, you know, it, it's it's 
not as complex as what a lot of people think. So I guess in simple, simple layman's terms, you know, discounted cash flow for dummies, can you explain that for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and in fact, interestingly, I, uh, I suspect, although I don't know the history of it, where the EBITDA multiple comes from is effectively DCF because it's a proxy for DCF. It's prosky, pro- yeah, for the discount factor, yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. So basically a discounted cash flow, what I did was I sat down and went, okay, let me look at the future income streams from this business. So over a period of five years, so let's not go too far into the future, let me map out the revenue and all the costs and the gross and net profits over a five-year period. And then what I'll do is I'll say, okay, right, so I've now got a model which says, oh, you know, look, this has got, you know, X million pound of generated profits over a five-year period. But then you go, hmm, well, a pound today isn't worth a pound in five years' time because you've got inflation and all sorts of other factors, and you've got risk capital factors. So you have to apply a discount factor to that future dollar to say what's it worth today. So basically, what's a dollar in five years' time worth today? Yeah. And you discount it back. Yeah. And then you apply that discount factor to those cash flows, and it gives you a number of, if everything were to fall into place, and all the assumptions were correct, which they never, ever are, <laughs> then this business should generate a net cash figure of this amount based on a certain discount rate. And that includes a risk factor as well. And then that gives you the basis for the valuation. No, that's great. And and thank you for explaining that. And I think for the for those listening too, that that risk factor, that discount factor, other than the time value of money, you know, it com- comes down a lot to the business model and the industry they're in, the overall economic cycle. You know, you're weighing up a whole bunch of things here there to work out where do the risks really sit. Correct. And your cost of debt versus your cost of equity. You know, because they've got different discount rates. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, people will hear terms of like weighted average cost of capital and stuff like that. So we won't get too technical on it. But, you know, hey, if anyone's got really any burning questions, reach out. I mean, calculating the WAC, I spent hours calculating the WAC and then realized it doesn't really matter. It's not that scientific at the entrepreneurial level. It might be if you've got a $500 million deal. Yeah. But at my level, it wasn't that kind of scientific. Yeah. And and I think too, where you do see a lot of DCF um, modeling is where you've got very, very large assets with ongoing stable recurring kind of style revenues. You know, you, you want to you build a freeway with a toll on it with a 20, 30 year exactly. return cycle. It's wonderful, right? Because those, those revenues are predictable. So yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think at the entrepreneurial level, I think a lot of it is is kind of almost like a market valuation, you know, like oh hey, I'm you know I'm buying a plumbing business and I'm I'm you know I down there I heard Johnny sold his plumbing business for three times his profit or whatever it might be, right? And so you you start getting enough of those together, and then you suddenly end up with this rule of thumb, which which is that's a, right, yeah. But I also think that I'm a I'm a big believer, Mike. That rule of thumb is a double edged sword, right? It's you know as I said to. Um, I was saying to a client just the other day, look at professional services as a broad industry category, right? Uh, this client turned around and said, well, I've, I've heard that, you know, professional services uh, will sell for around about a sort of three, three and a half, maybe a four times, you know, and I said, oh, the old rule of thumb. They said, yeah, exactly. That rule of thumb, uh, yeah. I said, well, look, you know, as a simple average goes, that's probably somewhere where the simple average is, but is, uh, is your business simply average? And of course, their face sort of changed a little bit, and they didn't really like that question. And I said, "Well, like, I've seen professional services go for one times, 
And I've seen them go for, you know, six, eight, ten times, twelve times more even in, in you know, rarer circumstances, but certainly in terms of the, the average business in the street, you know, one to six is, is pretty common. So where do you want to be? I mean, I think it's a really, that's a really critical point, Simon, I think. If you took a thousand deals in professional services and you mapped out the EBITDA multiple, the spread will have a peak and then it'll have at the edges, it'll have bumps, quite big bumps. And that the average again is misleading, you know, an average of three and a half. Well, if you took the median, the median rather than the average might be six. So for a start, average versus median probably a bad place to start. And, and just to, and, and and second, sorry to jump in well, on you there, but, no, but even the median, right? Like we, we could be talking, are we talking about the number of transactions, you know, as, as the median or, you know, like, are you doing, are we, are we doing some sort of dollar weighted average or, you know, in, in other ways? Exactly. It's, yeah. Lots of ways to slice it, right? I mean, the key thing is uh, my view, uh, and it all comes down to, you know, your experiences and your views and, and they can be, invaluable to an entrepreneur and dangerous because I bring my perceptions. I bring my assumptions. I bring my kind of uh, constraints to a, to a situation as you do. Um, the beauty is you see hundreds of transactions. The entrepreneur sees this once in their life. And again, back to the value of the advisor is, uh, you know, and I, when I'm talking to my clients, I will normally say to them, you need to see a corporate finance house about this because they see a lot more deals than I do. I've seen probably half a dozen, maybe 10. They've seen thousands. So they bring a very different experience. So that, that it, back to that, it's worth getting great advice, definitely. So one of the th- thoughts in my mind was, I'm a big fan of niche experience. If you're going to buy a business or sell a business and in the build phase of that business, you need to niche down. I think in the last 10 years, it's become massively important. Because of the kind of um, the internet and everyone can see everything now, and it's very easy to research things and knowledge travels so fast because of the internet, um, you need to find the niche that you can kind of dominate and defend. I mean, I love the, the Warren Buffett, uh, build a moat yeah. around your business. Deep and wide. Yeah, how <laughs> wide is your moat? Yeah, deep and wide, deep and wide. You want a business that's got a deep, wide moat. And I think it's really important. You, if you become a generalist in anything that you do, in this market, unless you are you know, a $10 billion corporation, then even then, probably not advised, um, it's a route to disaster. Yeah. Well, and, and, it's, and I think, you know, you do see things go in cycles like this. But what, one, of my client, um, one of my guests on the show, she bought a business that was doing about $3 million revenue at the time, was a freight company, and she bought it from Maine Nicholas. And, you know, there you go, a company that's predominantly focused in the medical space now <laughs> exactly. was running transport companies, you know, and, and they'd made the decision to go, you know, narrow their field and go much, much deeper. And, and look, and it's paid a lot of dividends for them. But, but yeah, look, she bought that business for three mil turnover, built it to uh, about 50 mil in turnover over about a five-year period Wow! before selling. And, you know, and, wow. and she took that and she was very much stayed in her niche, right, and just continued to expand. So it's, I agree with you. It's, it's, it is, there is an experience factor there that is hard to put a dollar on in terms of how valuable it can be to you in situations. It's uh it's the old thing, right? If you're if you're out at sea, the guy you know, and your boat breaks down, the guy who has the spanner, or the guy who knows which knob to turn or the which bolt to tighten, it, it could be life saving, right? Correct. 
And I think if you look at look at it from the buyer's side, you know, if you if you're an entrepreneur looking to build your business and sell it, I, I'd start with looking at the buyers. Talk to a load of buyers about what they look for. And typically what I think you'll find is, you know, what the audience might find is that if you talk to 10 potential buyers, they'll say, we like things that are sector focused. So they've got some real sector expertise. We like things that are geographically focused. They know their territory. And we like things that have a discipline focus where you're an expert in something. And that kind of intersection of those three bits become really important. That's a, a really, really good tip. And and yeah, I just, it's, it's if people just take one thing away from this uh, particular show, I mean, that would be invaluable in your careers and your business life. So, you know, it's an interesting one, Maureen. I'm sure you, you, you appreciate this too, but there's, there are a lot of advisors out there and many of them have actually never even been in business for themselves. You know, yeah. I, I sort of always feel, you know, especially out in in what I'm going to call SME land, which, you know, could be anything from you see sort of micro businesses up to, you know, really probably 100 million bucks is really kind of mid, mid-tier and some would some would say higher even in certain categories. But my, my point is that, that, you know, if you're getting advice from somebody who's not run their own business and they're telling you how to run yours, that's, that's you know, I don't know, you've really got a kind of question. I, I have this little thing like, I reckon if you haven't had a few sleepless nights lying in bed wondering if your business is going to make it, then you probably haven't been in business. <laughs> a few sleepless nights, my word. <laughs> I talk about, oh, my God. You know that kind of staring into the abyss yeah, thing I talk about? Yeah. I bought one business and um, we were at the back end of the deal cycle and I, uh, we'd worked out a commercial deal structure, which was kind of going to work. And I walked into a big room with these guys that were selling their business. And it's me, my advisor. Uh, in fact, he was a finance guy at the time. Uh, and uh, these two sellers. And we walked into this room and it was dark. I couldn't find the seat. I'd bumped over stuff. And I said to the guy, I'll just turn the lights on. He went, no, keep it dark. I like it that way. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be uncomfortable. Oh dear. And you get those moments where you think, oh, Christ. And then a second one is in my mind where I, it, was, it, was, it was virtually Christmas. You could, have, you could have written a story around it and shot a movie. It was about the 23rd of December or something. And the bank was on my back. And literally they said, if you don't restructure these creditors that you've got by Christmas, we'll take the keys off you. Oh. And they meant it. I had a physical asset on that business. I owned a physical building and, and an asset. And they had the debt and they said, you fix this or we'll take the keys off you. And I, I think I structured the deal that evening of the 23rd and we got a deal away and it was all fine. But those are the moments where, you know, it, not, it doesn't just form you, it scars you. Yeah. But those scars are important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Get, you know, like, look at me, I'm bald, but really I'm actually 27, right? Like I- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think those are the things, you know, I talked earlier on about, if I, could, if I could show people where the kind of traps are, well, at least you won't fall into my traps. You'll just fall into your own traps. I think it's important that people talk to people that have been on an exit journey. Just talk to them over dinner. Most entrepreneurs that have sold love to tell their story. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually think that entrepreneurship, you know, being a business owner and growing and and look, and I know some people love to, to, to split the difference on a business owner is not an entrepreneur and all that sort of stuff. Look, I think if you're in business for yourself, you're out there. You are all in. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I don't see that sort of hair splitting as being probably all that helpful. But yeah, look, but I think it, I do think that it's somewhat of a fraternity, right? Like it's, 
you've earned your badge. You know, you've even if you you came in and you failed miserably, you know, you've you've earned your stripes and you deserve. You know, you, you're you're part of a different community now. And 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 look, hey, that's what this show's fundamentally exists for, right? Is to share the stories of those who've been before and those who've stepped in the the bear traps and tripped over the logs and <laughs> exactly yeah. and bitten by the animals and got those what <laughs> exactly. I mean, something else we've talked quite a lot about the buy and the sell side. If you look at the build cycle, so during that build cycle, something else that I think is really important, uh, be good to get your kind of views and experiences on this is, again, you wouldn't, well, you would believe how many people I talk to where they're, they're on this cycle and they're building their business and they say, oh, you know, it's just been really unlucky and, and I've got to this place and it, 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 it's not what I expected and, you know, it, it, it's outrageous and I've got, to, I've got to now pivot. Everyone's talking about yeah, pivoting yeah. their business. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I said, if you don't know where you're going, then don't complain when you get somewhere you don't like. Now, you might pick the wrong destination. You might need to tack towards a slightly different destination, but you need a destination in mind of some kind. Um, I wrote down something which, so again, the good thing about my stories are they're my stories that are real. Yep. They're true. They're my stories. No one can deny them. Whether people learn from them or not is down to them, but it, it, it's, it's my view of the world. And I wrote down something called uh, about luck um, because I get called unlucky quite a few times. <laughs> and I'd be the, you know, so I've written down luck is when opportunity meets focus, deep expertise and perseverance. Which might almost be summed up as preparedness. <laughs> Absolutely. I still work now, I'm 57. I've sold several businesses, bought loads, um, messed them up, screwed them up, you know, advised to the clients. I still, I'm at the desk normally by about 8, 8.30. Uh, I'm working until 7.30. Uh, I'm building another business now, which is this, um, I work with companies that do, I help them, I help sales teams improve their negotiation skills as they scale up. And, and what's the name of this company? Uh, it's called Piscari, P-I-S-C-A-R-I. And, and uh, I'm, I'm still at it. Mm. You know, I, I work hard and I don't believe that just working hard gets results. But what I do know is if you don't work hard, your chances of success, your luck is going to be much lower. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Because I think as a, as a species, <laughs> certainly Western society seems to glorify often people who've kind of fallen ass backwards into a pile of money. Yeah. And, and they're held up as kind of heroes or they're just put in far, far, far too much focus on the unicorns, which don't get me wrong, people don't become a unicorn company by being silly or lucky in any way, shape or form. And so people try to model that. But I think this also comes back to being realistic about yourself. Now, you may well have the next unicorn idea, but there's a lot of stages that you've got and milestones you need to achieve on your way to becoming a, a unicorn. And if you're thinking all about the 40,000 steps ahead of you, the, you know, the, there's the unicorn stage. I'm going to run at that. Well, you are going to trip over the many milestones that are essential on that journey. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think we can learn a lot from reading the press about unicorns, mm. but the reality is look at the numbers. Just look at the numbers. You know, the percentage of making it to unicorn status is so, so, so small. I mean, tiny. If, you, if that's your ambition, I don't, I don't deny your ambition of becoming a unicorn, but just the likelihood of success is, is much smaller. 
and it might kill you along the way. Yeah, indeed, indeed. If not uh, actually physically, certainly it could be financially and, you know, your life and family and all those other things. So, you know, the last thing you want people doing is actually realising what was important to them when it's too late. And and I noticed too when I look at Piscari, like you, you do a lot around negotiation, right? Exactly. So one thing I've learned uh, in that buy, build, sell cycle is most entrepreneurs, everyone, we're negotiating every day. As business owners, we're negotiating every day. And as you get towards a sell, then obviously it becomes really serious. Um, and as you're scaling up and you're selling to uh, other uh, corporates that are buyers, 99% of uh, business owners and salespeople don't have a negotiation framework. They believe innately they are good negotiators. All they're terrified of negotiating and they do it because they have to. Um, and what I, what I realized was, uh, having been in, run my own companies, been a sales director, worked with loads of salespeople, is that actually there's, there's two ways of learning negotiation skills. You can read a book, you can go on a, a course from someone like Harvard, which are brilliant courses, and you'll learn all the foundations. And that's a great way of learning foundation skills. The problem is when you get back into the workplace, you won't be able to apply them because you find it hard to translate the theoretical framework into the practical day-to-day life of what you're doing, especially as a salesperson. And so what I did was I built a a framework that's contextual, which is here's some foundations about negotiation, basic stuff. And then here's how how it applies in a sales situation. And then here's some templates. So I've written a a, a negotiation workbook that I'm launching, which is a step-by-step guide as a salesperson, about how you structure a negotiation to help any salesperson think about, this is the deal I'm working on. These are the parameters I've got in terms of the deal parameters. This is what I'll accept as the minimum. This is what I, 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 I desire as the kind of optimal. And then you work it through. And, and that act of having, having a process, having some templates, writing it down, prepares you for a negotiation. Because when you meet people, I was an ex-procurement director where I came at this from was I've been a buyer at some scale. I've bought hundreds of millions of pounds of the services and I've turned all my buying knowledge onto the sell side. So I help companies that sell work out how to negotiate with tough buyers. And that insight, when I say to clients, why do you work with me? Sales sales teams say, the templates are great, Mike, and the training's great. But the coaching you give us as a buyer looking at how we sell is invaluable because I bring a buyer's lens to a seller's situation. And that unlocks all sorts of commercial deal structures that you wouldn't normally think of. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant, Mike. Absolutely brilliant. And you said that um, this workbook is, is you know, something you're working on, so it's not available as yet. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So it's not available just yet. I've not, I haven't even got, I've not even pre-sold it yet. So there's no kind of pre-sale page you can go to, unfortunately. No worries. Um, but we're at the stage of we've got a physical prototype in our hands it's going to be a good old-fashioned physical book a book that you can open up and you write your deals in brilliant well when that is available um obviously we'll have your profile on the on the buy build sell website there and uh we'll certainly be happy to make that available for anyone who comes here but for those who would like to be able to get in contact with you directly what, what's the best way for people to reach out so two ways uh, you can email me so mike at piscari.com P-I-S-C-A-R-I.com, or just find me on LinkedIn. Just type in Mike Lander, 
and Piscari uh, into Google, and I'll pop up on LinkedIn, hopefully. And if you do send... And I'm always uh, happy to connect. Yeah, great. And if you do send a connection request to Mike, put a little note saying that you heard him on the Buy, Build, Sell podcast, and at least you'll have a little bit of context as to why you're reaching out. <laughs> Correct. I, that would be great. It, it's such a funny thing, isn't it? I get so many connection requests of people who are just random, no, no message, no nothing. It's like you want to connect but it's like you kind of stepped in my front door and then just stood there staring at me for a while, and it's just a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit weird, exactly. There's no explanation. There's no context. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've shared so many gold nuggets today, which I know our listeners and all these other entrepreneurs out there who are doing their, you know, on their journey, battling their way through will, will find immense value in. So, Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, Simon. I've really enjoyed talking to you about deals and buying, building and selling businesses. So thank you for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder Questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.